For a few years now, I've called this service the Sunday after Christmas, uh, the cheese board. After all the feasting and the build-up to Christmas, I don't bring you another heavy main course on this Sunday, but instead I choose a few short stories as a lighter bite to round off the year with. So my apologies if you miss a full sermon today. I will take that as a compliment. But remember that stories were Jesus' stock in trade, and if they were good enough for him, I don't see why they aren't good enough for you and me on at least one Sunday in the year. And as we hear these stories today, we're going to punctuate them with a song, a short song, through our lives and by our prayers, your kingdom come. So I'll ask Alan to play the tune for us, and then we'll sing it through once, just so we're ready to sing during the stories. for this morning is Jesus saying, let the little children come to me and do not hinder them, for the kingdom of heaven belongs to such as these. Look to the child. And the first couple of stories are about doing just that, looking to the example of children. The first comes from Frank O'Connor writing about his childhood in rural Ireland. Frank says, one Christmas, Santa Claus brought me a toy engine. As it was the only present I'd received, I took it with me to the convent and played with it on the floor while mother and the old nuns discussed old times and how much nicer girls used to be then. But it was a young nun who brought us in to see the crib. When I saw the holy child in the manger, I was very distressed because little as I had, he had nothing at all. For me, it was fresh proof of the incompetence of Santa Claus, an elderly man who hadn't even remembered to give the infant Jesus a toy, and who should have been retired long ago. I asked the young nun politely if the holy child didn't like toys, and she replied composedly enough, oh, he does, but his mother's too poor to afford them. That settled it. My mother was poor too, but at Christmas, she at least managed to buy me something, even if it was only a box of crayons. I distinctly remember getting into the crib and putting the engine between his outstretched arms. I probably showed him how to wind it as well, because a small baby like that would not be clever enough to know. I remember, too, the tearful feeling of reckless generosity with which I left him there in the nightly darkness of the chapel, clutching my toy engine to his chest. The second story about children is called God's Under the Bed by Kelly Adkins. My brother Kevin thinks God lives under his bed. At least that's what I heard him say one night. Kevin was born 30 years ago and has learning difficulties. He's six feet two but apart from his size, there are few ways in which he is an adult. 
His reason and his re he reasons and communicates with the capabilities of a seven-year-old, and he always will. He will probably always believe that God lives under his bed and that airplanes stay up in the sky because angels carry them. I remember wondering if Kevin realizes he's different. Is he ever dissatisfied with his monotonous life? He doesn't seem dissatisfied. He loops out to the bus every morning at 7.05, eager for a day of simple work. He wrings his hands excitedly while the water boils in the stove before dinner. And he stays up late twice a week to gather our dirty laundry for his next day's laundry chores. And Saturdays, oh, the bliss of Saturdays. That's the day my dad takes Kevin to the airport to have a soft drink, watch the planes land, and speculate loudly on the destination of each passenger inside. His anticipation is so great he can hardly sleep on Friday nights. I don't think Kevin knows anything exists outside his world of daily rituals and weekend field trips. He doesn't know what it means to be discontent. His life is simple. He will never know the entanglements of wealth or power, and he doesn't care what brand of clothing he wears or what kind of food he eats. He recognizes no differences in people, treating each person as an equal and a friend. His needs have always been met, and he never worries that one day, one day they may not be. His hands are diligent. Kevin is never so happy as when he's working. When he unloads the dishwasher or vacuums the carpet, his heart is completely in it. He doesn't shrink from a job when it's begun, and he doesn't leave a job until it's finished. But when his tasks are done, Kevin knows how to relax. He's not obsessed with his work or the work of others. His heart is pure. He still believes everyone tells the truth, that promises must be kept, and when you're wrong, you apologize instead of argue. Free from pride and unconcerned with appearances, Kevin is not afraid to cry when he's hurt, angry, or sorry. He's always transparent, always sincere, and he trusts God. Not confined by intellectual reasoning, when he comes to Christ, he comes as a child. Kevin seems to know God as a friend in a way that's difficult for an educated person to grasp. God seems like his closest companion. In my moments of doubt and frustrations with my Christianity, I envy the security Kevin has in his simple faith. It's then that I'm most willing to admit that he has some divine knowledge that rises above all of my questions. It's then that I realized that perhaps he is not the one with the handicap. I am. My obligations, my fear, my pride, my circumstances, they all become disabilities. Who knows if Kevin comprehends things I can never learn? After all, he spent his whole life in that kind of innocence, praying after dark and soaking up the goodness and love of God and one day, when the mysteries of heaven are opened, and we are all amazed at how close God really is to our hearts, 
I'll realize that God heard the simple prayers of a boy who believed that God lived under his bed. Kevin won't be surprised at all. Let us pray. Father, thank you for the children and the childlike ones in our lives. In the midst of life's busyness and all the responsibilities that we carry, help us to recover the simplicity, the openness, and the generosity of a child. Amen. Through our lives and by our prayers, your kingdom come. next text is from the book of Proverbs, and it says, Above all else, guard your heart, for it is the wellspring of life. A few words of warning, the end of the year, beginning of a new one, to help you look to your soul. We all know about the Beatitudes, the blessings that Jesus proclaimed uh, in Galilee on the hillside. You may not know the devil's Beatitudes. Uh, these are written by John Stowell, the devil's beatitudes. Blessed are those who are too busy, too distracted, or too apathetic to spend time with their fellow Christians each Sunday. They are my best workers. Blessed are those who wait to be asked and expect to be thanked. I can use them. Blessed are the touchy with a bit of luck, they might even stop going to church. They are my missionaries. Blessed are the troublemakers. They shall be called my children. Blessed are the complainers. I'm all ears to them. Blessed are those who get bored with the minister's mannerisms and mistakes, for they get nothing out of his sermons. Blessed is the church member who expects to be invited to her own church, for she is a part of the problem instead of the solution. Blessed are those who gossip, for they shall cause strife and divisions that please me. Blessed is he who professes to love God, but hates his brother and sister, for he shall be with me forever. Blessed are you when you hear this, and you think it's about other people and not about yourself. I've got you. And the second reading is about a pig who was complaining about his lack of popularity. He complained to the dairy cow that people were always talking about the cow's gentleness and kind eyes, while his name, pig, was used as an insult and it was the same with the sheep. Everybody loved the fluffy sheep and thought that they were wonderful. Everybody ooed and aahed over the wee lambs and made a fuss of them, but not piglets. Nobody ever bothered with piglets. I'm looking around to see if Ali Crookshank's in the... There he is. Hello, Ali. Ali's the exception to the rule. 
The pig admitted that the cow gave milk and cream for food and that the sheep gave its fleece for wool, but he argued that pigs gave far more. We give bacon and ham and gammon, and people even pickle our feet to eat. I don't see why we don't get the credit we deserve. And the cow thought and chewed the cud for a while, and then he said gently, she said gently, maybe it's because we give of ourselves while we're still living. Let us pray. Lord, you call us not just to receive grace, but to live out of grace. To make you known not just in what we say, but in how we are. Give us a teachable spirit and the honest self-appraisal that recognizes where we need to change. Help us remember that these lives we live are the only time we get to reflect your amazing grace in the world. Amen. Through our lives and by our prayers, your kingdom come. The next text is from Proverbs 20 and verse 5. The purposes of someone's heart are deep waters, but a person of understanding draws them out. That's about looking beneath the surface of ourselves, but also of other people. A few years ago, I came across an initiative called Post Secret, and I think I've spoken to, uh, to you about it before. And it's an initiative trying to encourage and support young people uh, in the challenges that they face. And the idea is that they make and send in an anonymous postcard as a way of opening up about the things that they're struggling with or want to confess or just want to declare and tell someone. And the results are often moving, sometimes funny, but always honest. And they remind us that every person we meet has more going on inside them than we will ever know. And we need to show them some grace. And I think that's a good message for all of us to be taking into the new year. And we're going to watch a short video now that just pulls together a few of these postcards to give you a feel for the kind of things that these young people are thinking. Let's pray together. Father, even those we know well are still in large part a mystery to us. Help us to be quick to listen, slow to speak, and disinclined to judge until we've really got to know someone, remembering that there is always more going on in people's lives than we can ever know. Amen. Through our lives and by our prayers, your kingdom come.
Our next text comes from Psalm 46 and just says, Be still and know that I am God. Look after yourself. And for me, that boils down to two things. Allow yourself to play and allow yourself to pray. An Athenian many years ago once found Aesop of Aesop's fables, happily joining in with some children as they played their games. And the Athenian ridiculed Aesop for doing something so undignified for a man of his standing. So the old storyteller good-temperedly took up a bow, unstrung it, and laid it at his accuser's feet. Remember this, friend, he said, that bow, if it is kept always strained, would lose its spring and probably snap. Let it relax sometimes, and it will be the fitter for use when it is needed. And then a story from the running community, which I'm sure many of you will be joining come the new year and you make your resolutions. I've heard it. I've read it. As long as I've been running, it's always been the same message. Drink plenty of water. All along, most race courses are water stations and most runners slow down to drink a cup of cool water. Keeping your water level up is critical when you run. If you get slightly dehydrated, you won't run well. If you get moderately dehydrated, you'll become disorientated. If you get seriously dehydrated, you can die. It's a serious business. The first year I ran a marathon was in 1991, and I was inexperienced as well as younger, slimmer, and stupider. I passed water stop after water stop, occasionally taking a mouthful or two. I felt good, and I wasn't going to waste precious seconds drinking water, even though it was a hot, humid day. Big mistake. As I neared the final mile, I hit the wall. My energy level dropped to zero. I began having to walk rather than run, and I realized I would have to work hard just to finish the distance. I did make it across the line, but only with a tremendous headache and hardly enough energy to walk. It really wasn't much fun. But I learned an important lesson that day. Stopping for water doesn't actually slow you down. In fact, you'll run a better race if you do drink water. The bottom line is that your body is simply not designed to function without enough water. In the same way, your spiritual stamina depends on stopping for regular drinks of spiritual water. The dilemma for people of faith is finding time to invest in spiritual reading and meeting with God in prayer. Like the runner intent on reaching the finish line, we tend to put off those regular drinks of water until we're totally parched and in danger of crashing out of the race. But in the long run, you will run a better race if you stop for spiritual water. In fact, finishing the Christian race at all may depend on it. And runners who don't ever slow down to take a drink often stumble off the course far short of the finish line. In this year's race, I saw a man become dehydrated just a mile from the finish line. Strangely, he didn't seem to recognize that anything was wrong. He was swaying from side to side as he walked, mumbling over and over, I'm fine, I'm fine. He was so disorientated that he didn't even recognize how weak and vulnerable he was. 
If you let yourself become spiritually, spiritually dehydrated, you may not even be able to recognize it. So make sure you stop along life's way to drink some of that living water that Christ offers. For serious runners, it's a must. Let us pray. Lord, we find it so hard to be still and to keep company with you. There are so many other urgent things to be getting on with. And so many other ways to spend our time that seem far more attractive. And yet we know the rewards that discipline brings in life, in work, in health, and in learning. And it's no different in the spiritual life. This year, help us to cultivate the kind of stillness that keeps aware of you as we play and as we pray. And use those times to form us into the people that you would have us be. Amen. Through our lives and by our prayers, your kingdom come. Look to the child, look to your soul, look beyond the surface, and look after yourself. And all of these are underpinned by one last looking. And it's summed up for us in the book of Hebrews, chapter 12, verse 2. Let us fix our eyes upon Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. It's as we look to Jesus that we'll be able to live meaningful, fruitful Christian lives in the world. And that leads us into our next hymn, which is really singing a response to that. I heard the voice of Jesus say, I am this dark world's light. Look unto me, thy morn shall rise and all thy days be bright. I looked to Jesus and I found in him my star, my sun, and in that light of life I'll walk till traveling days are done.